he's a complete wild card. Uh, it's the wrong round for that, but. Uh... <laughs> so, hello, and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. We've just had the wild card round and a couple of very exciting games, everything down to the line and everything very, very close, with one exception, we'll say. Uh, but lots and lots of news as the hirings and firings are coming fast and loose at this time of year. So we've got lots to get through. Uh, so let's fire on with the show. So, hey, we got Connor here and we got Ronan. Hello. How's the crack of yourself, Ronan? Is down in Cork? Ah, uh, not quite enough. Just settling back into the, the work routine. We've got a new, uh, new uh, statistician in, so training him up in the, the ways of the power and sample size arts. It's, it's very complex, <laughs> very which fun. is... Uh, when working for me, uh, you know, it's a very horizontal structure. Uh, here is everything you need to know. Now go and do it, and I will uh, help you if you request it, basically. Uh, thankfully, like most of the work is pretty modular, so it should be easy to just learn it yourself, but whatever. Fair enough, fair enough. You yeah, know, I've got uh, back into work this week and then got hit down with the lurgy that has been surrounding everyone around here for the last week. I was a bit sick last week, kind of powered through that, thought I had escaped it. No, it hit me in the face on Monday. So uh, we're recording this a day later and I'm still a little bit dosed, as you can probably hear over the microphone. But uh, man, we had some fun games on the weekend. Uh, apart from that, I passed my exams. So year one of the of the Masters is now done. So happy days. Uh, I'm sure work will be happy to hear that and I don't have to go and <laughs> explain failure to them, uh, which would be good. So maybe one day I can explain the dark arts of uh, statistician <laughs> statistics and uh and whatnot um but yeah we've got loads of news to actually crack into this week because of all the hirings and firings so we're probably just going to start flying through those as they're the main stories at the moment green bay have named tennessee offensive corner matt lafleur as their new head coach uh he's only 39 he's got a good bit of like offensive background but no head coaching experience which obviously plays into the trends of like Mac Nagy, Sean McFay, all that kind of stuff that normally happens. This was a bit of a surprise though there was a couple of commentators I'd say basically to get a gig now all you need to do is have like sneezed in the vicinity of Sean McFay and stuff like that which is probably an overstatement but like he was working with in Washington then in San Francisco and then with McVay and the Rams like but then he was he, he was putting together the offense in Tennessee, and that was, a, let's be honest, for the most part, a piece of shit of an offense. Like, they did nothing for the first half of the year, and then they got some offensive line pieces back, and Derrick Henry went off for a couple of weeks. But I don't see anything in his last couple of years that make me think, this is the man that you pair with Aaron Rodgers for the last kind of four years of his career. Yeah, like, uh, I think the general feeling is that this is, like, someone who is getting promoted by association, Perhaps, like, you know, you kind of look at what happened to John DeFilippo in Vikings in terms of, you know, how much do you actually know these young guys who are associated with successful teams? And you're like, well, this guy's kind of getting in on reputation uh, and more, not reputation, but more association. So obviously he comes from that Shanahan McVeigh school, but like you're the OC in, in like with the Rams, like Sean McVeigh is running that offense. We know yeah, that. exactly. So how much, how much input did he actually have? Was he just like, getting along like training up Jared Goff something like that and of course you're coming into a situation where the big question is what can you do with the you know twilight career well like the back end of Aaron Rodgers career is Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur going to get on because Aaron Rodgers is not a quarterback who's known for holding his tongue or for you know not biting if he doesn't feel like he's getting what he wants out of the team Certainly his relationship with Mike McCarthy deteriorated quite quickly towards the end of McCarthy's career there. So you're talking yeah. about someone, like if you look at where LaFleur has had success in terms of the teams he was with, he was in Washington when they had Orgy Tree and, and Kirk Cousins. He was with uh, Kyle Shanahan at the same time as that. And obviously had Jared Goff in the Rams. All of the both, all three of those are young quarterbacks learning the game. You can teach those guys up, and with Mariota, it's a similar situation. And there's questions over whether he did good, did a really did a good job there or not. And but with Aaron Rodgers, it's going to be a completely different situation. So I think what would be key is whether his relationship with Rodgers is good, and he has this whole. I hope he brings a really fun playbook because if he doesn't, he's going to find out that. Uh, like coaching in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, where the expectation is you are going to get at least 10 wins, is a very tough position indeed. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we discussed this already in the offseason, that this is probably one of the more worrying uh, or the more pressured uh, positions to be taking because you've got a back window with so many people 
a lot, a lot of people believe to be one of the best, if not the best, playing the game at the moment. And you've kind of got the last four or five years of his career in the palm of your hands. So this could either work out excellently because they've seen something they like, like you said, but it's also a bit of a risk. Uh, Tampa Bay have gone the opposite direction. of <laughs> Instead of hiring a young talent, they've decided to go to the old well again and bring back uh, head coach Bruce Arians. So he's obviously... Very experienced head coach. Uh, he was in Pittsburgh. He was head coach in Indianapolis for a year, and then he was in Arizona. Um, got some okay performances out of some of those sides. Uh, there'd be some criticism to say that actually he hasn't statistically been that good a coach over that period, but his 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 uh, his presence has kind of grown uh, in in the last year when he wasn't in there. But he does bring a very kind of hard-nosed approach to coaching, a very take-no-shit kind of, uh, at least, image. And whenever you're going to be going into Tampa Bay and having to deal with the likes of uh, Jameis Winston and trying to, presumably, a reclamation project on what we believe to be human scum, that, like, you're going to have to really be tough love with them to try and do it. You can see how that might work. He's already staffed up with, uh, I believe, Todd Bowles coming in as DC, which is pretty, because I was kind of hoping that he'd come to KC, and uh, Byron Leftwich at offensive coordinator. So, like, is this a spot where you think Arians' tenure with them is going to be um, kind of tied up with the Jameis Winston experiment and them trying to get something out of that? Or is this a spot where they're saying, we'll give him a year to see what he can do with Winston, and then if he doesn't like that, we'll give him another two years with a new quarterback? Yeah, well, I think he has to do something with Winston. I don't think it can be like a you know a collapse year, like four or less wins. I think they need to at least be competitive in the NFC South, like you're talking maybe the seven, eight wins. I don't expect them to win because of the strength of that division but getting up to like seven eight wins is i think what they expect to do and obviously Jameis winston is a huge question there they've invested that first round pick like that first overall pick in him he's obviously shown talent at times and boneheadedness and others both on and off the field uh eating those w's and all that uh oh, but God. like you have a situation here where like he obviously one of the good things about him he has a whole branch of different people who've coached and coordinated elsewhere he's able to draw on that and be able to put together a staff very quickly which isn't true for a lot of these other hires and i think it's just like it's a situation where everyone else they're kind of getting these young like offensive masterminds and stuff like that and bruce arians yes his kind of his offensive scheme which is kind of more air coriel it did have its issues particularly in terms of protecting the quarterback but i think it still had enough success uh, and getting stuff out the best out of Carson Palmer, uh, and like uh, well, towards the end of his career, that you're not like, could Jameis Winston succeed in that? I, I don't think it's that. Just a small note that they, uh, he, I, he's the former Arizona coach, but because he retired, uh, Tampa Bay actually had to swap a sixth rounder uh, for a seventh rounder to officially get that done. Uh, just a small oh, note right. there. Didn't 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 notice that at yeah. all. Now. And just a small thing as we record, Todd Bowles. There are rumors that Chicago might be coming in to swoop in at the last minute. Uh, so if that happens, uh, please forgive us. Yeah, this is the one problem of whenever you record during this week, there's so much going on that uh, by the time the stuff comes out, even if we put it out immediately, there might be something swapped around. Uh, Arizona have picked up uh, Cliff Kilsbury from Texas Tech and previously of USC. Um, yeah, so again young college level coach that people are interested in offensive minded comes from an air raid offense which is a bit interesting like Mahomes Manziel apparently he was kind of attached to huge amounts of the like big named college players coming out from quarterbacks in recent years uh, has had I think historically poor defenses throughout his time there so will presumably need to be paired with a strong defensive coordinator but um like it's it's certainly an approach. The problem I would have with this is from what I've read up on this guy, like, yes, he runs a good college system. Almost every product that comes out of his college teams is not ready to play in the NFL. He hasn't developed them to that extent. And we haven't seen him actually take someone from college level to NFL quality. And that's what they're doing. And this is with their new rookie, uh, Rosen, who didn't have the world's best first year is bringing in a college coach with no NFL-level experience really the best route for development. Yeah, and that's especially perplexing because this is the team who went one and done on their previous uh, hire, who was also an inexperienced, albeit like an NFL defensive coordinator. Like It just seems like a really unusual move to go from, we fired this guy after a year because he, he was out of his depth, to, okay, now here's a college HD who got fired this year because yeah. of that, primarily yes, due to that poor defense kind of... Uh, 
putting them underneath the water and the fact that Texas Tech is kind of a smaller school uh, within like the, the Pac-12. Uh, but it's still a situation where he was fired this year and yet there's a, like there's a team, Arizona, coming around saying this guy should be head coach. Obviously, they're hoping that his kind of uh, his identity as an offensive guru and obviously with the massive run on offensive gurus, they're kind of left here. Uh, like with a situation, we need to get someone who does something exciting. And of course, they see like less so the Manziel, the Texas A&M when he was offensive coordinator. But obviously, they see Mahomes. Like like Mahomes is associated, had his best years in college with him, and obviously has turned into a star now. But I think like personally, and I'm sure you agree, like the coaching up that Andy Reid has done with Mahomes is probably a large part why he was able to transfer those air raid skills into the NFL as well as being you know ridiculous. Yeah, uh, and of course. Yeah. yeah, it's it's that transition stuff that I'm not sure he'll be able to manage. Yeah, and Rosen isn't really a fit for that. The whole point about Rosen is he was the most pro level ready quarterback. So is he someone that you need an offense like that? So it'll be really interesting to see if there's a fit there. This is definitely the one that is the most random, the most hard to kind of see why it happened. And like maybe Arizona strikes out really lucky here, but based on all the information we have available and based on his track record, uh, there isn't a great reason to believe it will work. It just seems like one of those cases, well, if, if Sean McVay worked uh, or Matt Nagy worked, then we'll just get this college coach who's good at offense and, and maybe it'll work. just no. seems like another uh, it, like hard move to understand from Arizona. Yeah. Uh, from going outside to promoting from inside, Cleveland have decided to move uh, offensive coordinator Freddie Kitchens to head coach after their great run in the back end of the season there with and they're, they're getting performances out of Baker Mayfield and Chubb. This is a big move as he kind of stepped in from running backs coach to be kind of interim offensive coordinator and head, to head coach within a year. So a lot of pressure on him to an extent. Uh, it's nice to see because I believe this was a very... A contentious decision-making process within uh, Cleveland as to what type of coach they wanted to go for. Uh, but it'll come with, obviously, some high expectations after the back end of that season. But uh, also, they need to like get probably an experienced defensive coordinator as uh, Greg Williams has stepped away from the Browns now. It's unclear whether he was fired or whether he left because he was passed over for the head coach position. Um, but yeah, like this is kind of what we were expecting from them. We thought we saw good performances out of Freddie Kitchens and we expected them to pair him with a with a kind of experienced DC. And to be honest, I can't think of any front office that would want to necessarily keep Greg Williams around. Yeah, and like to be honest, like down the stretch the the bedrock of the Browns like success wasn't the defense. The defense was pretty good, but it was the fact that the offense went from being one of the worst in the league to one of the best. Like you see that how they performed against the Ravens in the second half against one of the best defenses in the league and they were tearing them up with an innovative, exciting brand of football. And you have someone here who is getting the best out of Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is the future of your franchise. Freddie Kitchens has already proven that he gets along with him and has already picked, like has a really good rapport with him. So there is no reason why you want wouldn't keep Freddie Kitchens in the kitchen, as it were. Uh, all the all the <laughs> all the all the people who love puns in their headlines are is very glad about this as well. But like I just think it's a situation that like I think ideally maybe they would have wanted to keep him as an offensive coordinator, give him that job permanently. But I think with all of the interest sniffing around, I think they felt this is a move they have to make. And you know, like this this has worked in the past. Like well, like promoting from within does show like that you know if you do the right thing for the organization we will improve you and that can create a good team identity because I think right now based on just that experience this group of players have gone through with the Hugh Jackson era but then showing their actual capability their talent level in the back half of the season I think there's a really good feeling around that team and keeping the same guy in charge makes sense I think Greg Williams like he has his like he has that bravado and stuff like that but I think Freddie Kitchens is someone who's less likely to end up, you know, making aft, making situations. Just hopefully he has some experienced people to put him around him, both a defensive coordinator, but hopefully also on the staff in general, just so he can kind of pick up the the things needed to take on the additional responsibility of being head coach. Uh, so like it, it's been a rapid ascent. He was Orby, like running backs coach at the beginning of this year. Now he's head coach, and I think for all of us, all of us who have wished Cleveland well, we can only hope that this is the start of a magical fairy tale. Uh, at the start and it's going to get even better going forward no of course and Denver have also made a decision they've hired Chicago's defense coordinator Vic Fangio as their head coach uh, very experienced defensive coordinator uh, built the number one defense in Chicago this year or if you want to say at least the top two depending on it the Ravens uh, has a good track record of working in a number of different defenses uh, they have the pieces or at least a lump of the pieces on that on that Denver side of the ball to be able to create a unit there you would imagine but uh, 
The problem is there's still question marks on that offense that have to be addressed in this offseason. They brought in Gary Kubiak to work on the offense as offensive coordinator, but they're still hamstrung at the question of who their quarterback is going to be. They were obviously not getting the performance that they needed out of their players this year. They don't have anyone on the roster that looks to be able to take that step. And Elway has shown time and time again his inability to actually... uh, try and find talent at that position like his only success in it was attracting a free agent he hasn't been able to source talent anywhere else and then has also whiffed on a number of free agents that he's brought in so personally i like this hire because i think that's building on a strength that they have and they've got new player young players as well as old players so that's a good place to go but i'm 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 still in the opinion that denver isn't going anywhere until they figure out what they're doing on offense yeah like this just feels like too hot, like it's obviously Kubiak's more of a move within the organization, but it just seems like the bedrock of creating a really solid organization. Gary Kubiak can basically cover any of the issues that come around with the fact that Vic Fangio hasn't been a head coach before because Gary Kubiak, his track record is pretty impeccable. I think the one, like, I think Vic Fangio, he needs to keep an eye on the total team and in terms of the offense, not just leave it completely to Kubiak, but I think he should do it up. And I think, yeah, the only problem for us as, as obviously a defensive coach is that the expectations in Denver are so high because of the level that defense was playing during the Peyton Manning era that like, unless that defense is in the top three, he'll probably get some, like get some stick from the fans. And I think Kubiak the one thing about Kubiak is he did work with a lot of offenses which weren't very exciting but they weren't too dependent on the quarterback and if this year if they don't find like their guy in the draft or they don't find like a free agent or trade for someone that they really want to build around I think Kubiak is at least the kind of coach who can build a solid offense around someone like well not Case Keenum obviously but someone of that ilk uh so I think Denver will just be a lot more solid next year but the question is whether something like eight and eight would be enough for that for John Elway and that fan base that's that remains to be seen but oh, i think with the experience they have they should get a bit more rope than just a year yeah and la- the update the other three teams who are on the hunt at the moment new york jets are interviewing a lot of candidates but the leading candidate in all the bookies would be uh ex green bay head coach mike mccarthy who said he's only interested in that job cincinnati uh, are currently their current favorite is denver head coach vance joseph which like it's just such a fucking cincinnati bengals thing to do we discussed it last week briefly but like to go like just, just that collection where your choices are currently apparently like Vance Joseph or Hugh Jackson. Like, that's just sad, sad times. They've got a couple of other people they're interviewing, but those are the two favourites. And Miami uh, <clears throat> are saying that they are looking at maybe Brian, Brian Flores. A couple of other people being interviewed as well or being offered interviews. But there's a number of reports circling, circulating at the moment about how this is the least attractive of all the positions because it has the least in terms of quality players, the least in terms of assets, and just overall not a great spot to be. Uh, a couple of coordinator changes. Atlanta have hired uh, Dirk Cutter, the former Tampa Bay head coach, as their offensive coordinator in Pittsburgh, have fired the linebackers coach, Joey Porter. Uh, probably the start of a couple of clear pieces from them this offseason we'll have a look at a few of the injuries that have happened around the league uh so we'll stick to just playoff relevant ones because we've got a lot of news that we've already gotten through and a few more bits to get to uh dallas wide receiver alan hearns has injured his ankle and he's done for the playoffs indianapolis safety Mike mitchell has injured his calf and he's done for the playoffs and la chargers have activated tight end hunter henry from the pop ir list for the divisional round uh reports are that he's expected to play but we're not clear whether he's going to play this week or next week i believe they have like a 12-day window or something in which they can they can uh activate him or actually bring him onto the live roster so of these what do you think are going to have the biggest impact uh i think hunter henry like alan hearns and mike mitchell are both good role players and like like they're they're fine veteran players but they're not exciting whereas hunter henry obviously was expected coming into the season to be a dynamic force at tight end and obviously with the injury situation coming back maybe a little bit earlier uh than we expected he's a complete wild card uh it's the wrong round for that but uh <laughs> It's definitely a situation where if he's a dynamic playmaker for them, that just opens up the offense a little bit more and they don't have to rely on like Antonio Gates running like five miles an hour but somehow still being open. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, controversy corner, uh, this Antonio Brown story keeps going with Pittsburgh indicating that they're open for trades. This is a bit weird. Like They've been saying that they're going to do an interview with, uh, with, with James Harrison to explain some of the story, but then decided to pull back and they didn't do, I think it was a podcast they were going to do or something yeah. along those lines. And 
like there's just lots of crap going around. Uh, if you want to, if you want to really kind of anger up the blood about this, you should listen to the most recent Dave Damashek podcast, uh, where he spends about 25 minutes of the podcast defending Big Ben and the Pittsburgh Steelers organization and being like, they've done nothing wrong. Does anything in the last four or five years? Uh, it, it, yeah, like everyone is coming out badly in all of these negotiations and all this, 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 this media bullshit. But yeah, this just keeps, uh, this just keeps on rolling. Yeah, like uh, Pittsburgh, like the reports, obviously these things leak out, and obviously you know Pittsburgh isn't a tight ship regardless, uh, are open to trades, as it were, so expect lots of speculation once the Super Bowl's gone past. Uh, but uh, like as you mentioned, he, like Antonio Brown was planned to do like a, a an interview with James Harrison, who has his own axe to grind, and then cancelled it. So that would seem to indicate that either Antonio Brown or perhaps more likely his agent are saying, like, don't burn your bridges completely yet. Like, you've done diva stuff before. Maybe they'll forgive you. You're a good enough player to get away with it. Uh, so maybe, like, I don't think Antonio Brown is out the door yet. Uh, so, but that just means we'll have to deal with this shit for even longer. No, of course. And the NFL and the NFLPA have given a joint statement about Eric Reed's claims of over-testing during the year. If you'll remember this, this was Ed Reed claiming he was tested seven or eight times during the season for drugs. Uh, the source said it was determined that Reed was drug-tested fewer times than he publicly claimed. Uh, we don't have a huge amount of detail on this yet. I'm sure it'll play out a bit over the off-seasons. Yeah, like the one X factor is I think that like they can't release it, obviously for confidentiality reasons. But I think Eric Reed could, if he wanted to, get access to this and then release it publicly himself. And that would make things very interesting indeed. But uh, I don't think this is like, I don't know if Eric Reed wants to get into a fight in the offseason again, considering he's a free agent again. Uh, yeah. Maybe he just wants to get signed for a full season this time. No, of course. Uh, crime and punishment. Linebacker Ruben Foster's misdemeanor battery, uh, domestic battery charge has been dropped, apparently. He's still the NFL commissioner's exemplist until the NFL complete their investigation of this. And I'd imagine that's where he's going to stay. Uh, yeah, I, I, like, I think it's just one of those situations where the NFL, you know, it ha like obviously there's no smoke without fire and all that kind of stuff. Like this is the second time... Uh, uh, like a, a charge has been dropped because a witness has decided to withdraw their uh, evidence. Uh, like I don't really want to say anything more than that, but uh, the NFL obviously doesn't have to prove beyond all reasonable doubt, so may That's choose to keep him on the list a bit longer uh, and may no, just want course. this problem to go away. Yeah, and then a couple of other miscellaneous bits and pieces from around the league. Uh, so Ohio State quarterback Dwayne Haskins has officially declared from the NFL. Uh, this wouldn't be as big a story, but uh, from what we gather, it's one of the only quarterbacks that people were considering yeah. to be large-scale quarterbacks that are actually announcing for the 2019 draft, with two out of a few others not coming out this year. So uh, we'll be intrigued to see how that plays off in the offseason. Uh, random bits as well. Uh, the All-Pro teams were named... Uh, JJ Watt was named twice, which was a yeah. was an interesting one to both uh, I think edge and defensive lineman. Yeah, uh, and there's a few <laughs> other players like Tyreek Hill made it as flex and as wide receiver and a few other ones like that. So there's, it, it's a bit of a weird mess. We'll we'll discuss it on our uh, uh, later on. But like essentially these all pro things need a bit of a cleanup to really get them working. Like why they can't just have this player is classified as edge instead yeah, like of allowing them. Uh, like it just is a situation where they don't they don't list out who should be in certain categories. So certain voters were voting for him for edge, and some voters were voting for him for line. And it's just a situation where he got enough in both of them that he beat out like someone like Akeem Hicks on line and stuff like that. Like uh, uh, my personal pet theory is that you know because Aaron Donald's going to get Defensive Player of the Year and Andrew Luck is the Comeback Player of the Year, they had to give JJ Watt something special so he can feel that he's one of the best players in the league. And uh, shout out to Indianapolis who. Uh, are the first team to have a pair of rookies in da Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard to have all-pro all honours uh, since 1965 with the Bears, with Dick Butkus, great name, and Gail Sayers. Uh, yeah. So congrats, Indianapolis, uh, uh, but not this week, of course, Connor. No, of course. Uh, and then we've got uh, NFL in a big change to its old-school policy as of like two years ago. They've announced their Caesars Entertainment as their official casino partner. Uh, why quickly the winds of change do blow through. And uh, they've also made a very small minor rules change that almost certainly because they've made it is now going to impact a game this weekend. So <laughs> it is at a... Uh, End zone recovery after an incomplete pass ruling where over is now overturned to a fumble. So if someone has, a, I, you can be clear, you can clear this up for me just to be sure. So if if I throw an incomplete pass in the end zone, the default call is that it's a fumble that needs to be shown to be recovered, yeah. or else it's it defaults to a safety. Yeah. So previously, if 
you had a call on the field of an incomplete pass, which was overturned to a fumble, say because the player hit the arm, like a defensive player hit the arm and it fell out of your hand, uh, whereas previously thought it had been thrown. Then previously, on review, uh, if that was the call, that it was a fumble, not an uh, incomplete pass, then it would actually revert back to an incomplete pass as the final ruling. If there was not a clear recovery in the end zone, now the default will be it's a safety if there is no clear recovery. Obviously, if there's a clear recovery for either team, it'll be either a safety or a touchdown. This is just for that case where they don't know based on the replay uh, evidence. Fair enough, fair enough. So Bill Belichick awaits. Oh. Yeah, keep an eye out for Bill Belichick pulling that out of his arse this week. And with that, we'll move on and have a look at the games from Wildcard Weekend. Uh, first up, Indianapolis at Houston, 21-7. to This was the worst of all the games, to be honest. Very one-sided. Uh, Luck, Hilton, Mack, Indianapolis offensive line, all just overwhelmed. Like, Houston did not look good in this game. Their defense weren't able to get after them. Uh, their offense just wasn't firing. You could see the lack of having Fuller and Demarius Thomas and a few of those guys on the field, that they were just hoping for the best, throwing it up for, for, for Nuke. And Nuke, I think, was injured after about... 10 minutes of this game as well, so it didn't really help. Uh, the offensive line held up well against the, the strong pass rush of Cloudy and Watt, but neither of them seemed to really be a force to reckon with in this matchup for, for some reason, whether it was scheme or whether it was just the Colts offensive line getting back to that mid-season form where they had a lot of stuff. So, like, when you look at this Colts team in this game, is this a case of just excellent game planning and execution, or is it also elements of Houston doing Houston things and shitting the bed in the playoffs? Yeah, like this is the kind of performance that you kind of expect mid-season where a team that has found its identity and is humming along uh, thanks to good coaching and good personnel just puts away a bad team. They put up an early lead. In this case, Indianapolis scored all of their points in the first half and then the other team just flails around for the rest of them and are suitably boxed in while like the Colts just ran the ball out. Marlon Mack getting a load of yards in the second half. They didn't score, but they got plenty of yards and plenty of clock off the off them. And I think it's just a case where you look at the Colts and you just see over the obviously they had a really poor start to the season. They've got better as the season's gone on. And as you said, the offensive line had like this basically like a cavalcade for Andrew Luck. Uh, he was only sacked once, I believe, by JJ Watt early on. And after that, Andrew Luck was just cleaning that pocket and making huge plays to T.Y. Hilton, which is kind of the trend that we've seen over the last back half of the season as well. It's just a situation where like a huge amount of credit has to go to the fact that Frank Reich's calling great offensive game plan here, is controlling this game, choked Houston out of this game. And you know, obviously in the second half, that defense then stepped up really and made mincemeat of obviously a very like with, with Duke Hopkins hurt, that makes things a lot easier. But you know, Pierre Desir was good enough to stop an injured Nuke, and that's fine. And, you know, Eberflus, the defensive corner, takes a lot of credit for that because, obviously, this is really a no-name defense right now. Like, Malik Hooker is probably, like, their best person, best defender. And I think just the fact that they've done so well, not just here, but throughout the season, which such, such little talent, uh, like, name talent, is a credit to them, especially when you look across the field with all those names and they can't do shit. Yeah, no, of course. And we'll probably talk more about the losing teams in the off-season as well. But, to be honest, this was more of... I haven't, even when they were going through their run, I wasn't really trusting Houston. I don't think any of us were massively. There's holes on that team. I don't like the way that they are set up offensively. I don't yeah. think that, I don't really love how they're set up defensively either. And I just, like, I'm I'm happy to see them out of the out of the playoffs. Yeah. They're, they're, they're one of the most brittle teams. Like, we, I've talked about this all season. They Like, their top-level talent is really, really good. But you saw here, New Hopkins gets hurt. Like, J.J. Wall, I think, was playing hurt for a little bit. And the defensive line doesn't show up. Suddenly, because those like that kind of three or four players don't do anything, Deshaun Watson isn't enough to really overcome that, and the whole thing falls apart. Like they just need to like have a couple of good drafts uh, to really like have a full team and like look to the Colts about like uh, like a coach, uh, a coaching staff who can make good with poor players. Houston just doesn't feel like one of those right now. It just feels it's always felt a little brittle, a bit average under Bill O'Brien, and that was certainly proven here. Yeah, I'm not a Bill O'Brien fan to start with at the best of times, and this performance just makes me feel stronger than that. Uh, up next was Seattle at Dallas. This is 22 to 24, the breaker of the Fitz guessing curse. So I don't know if that's just because it was postseason or whether it was because the curse could see through the fact that you didn't truly believe that Dallas were going to win <laughs> the game. Uh, so Dallas Oak ground out another wing that Zeke running hard. Uh, this is a formula that, like, 
you can get success with sometimes in the NFL, but I'm not sure if it's one that can lead them all the way to the Super Bowl. I'm not sure if this would work against a more high-powered offense. That said, the Dallas linebacking core did an absolutely phenomenal job in this, flying all around the pitch and and, and doing well. Uh, there were some breakdowns in the Seattle defense that allowed them to, to, to kind of get away with, with some stuff that maybe they, they shouldn't have. But is this a Dallas team that is kind of, make or break on Ezekiel Elliott. Like, if you were to shut down that run game, is it a team that can really threaten outside? Because Cooper's kind of calmed down since he was there beforehand. And then beyond that, they've got, you know, like, kind of, you know, just another guy, kind of guys like Michael Gallup and, like, random people like that. Yeah, no, like, like it's a, it's an old-school football uh, game. And, I like, obviously, running the run game is really important, not just for scoring points, but perhaps just as importantly for ensuring that you chew clock and don't give time for these explosive offences that exist now to get a chance. Like, this game was obviously very unusual because, obviously, Dallas were facing more or less a mirror image of themselves. Like, Dallas have kind of built a, a team which is about running the game, killing the clock, and playing good defense. That's the Seattle template. And in many ways, the way that they won this game was very reminiscent of the way that Seattle Seahawks had won many of their games in previous years. The, the simple fact is, is that they out-Seahawked the Seahawks, and they did that because Ezekiel Elliott is an elite running back who can make plays even against good defensive fronts. Like Chris Carson couldn't do that here. Um, and Dak Prescott made a couple of clutch plays when it mattered, including obviously that, fourth, that, that, that third, and 14 conversion to kill the game off like and that's all that you need your quarterback to do if you have this formula and of course all of this is based upon the fact that the Dallas defense under Chris Richard has turned into an elite unit both in terms of that defensive line in terms of people like Demarcus Lawrence but yes especially those linebackers who are so good at stopping the run and I think even though yes some of the teams uh like the like the, the high powered teams in the uh in the NFC perhaps are are more pass heavy like, don't forget, like, the two, like, the number one and number two seed, uh, like, New Orleans and Rams, both have run games that they rely upon to kind of set up the pass, like, with Todd Gurley and Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram. So if, if Dallas can shut those down, just like we saw Dallas do against New Orleans earlier in the season, then they can create close games. The only problem for Dallas, of course, is that every game's a close game when you play like that, and then coin flips can make that difference, like, getting that third and 14 conversion. But in this game, that was enough uh, to get it done at home. Uh, I don't know, like I, I don't know if you can win three coin flips in a row and win the Super Bowl, but like you'll give yourself a chance if you can well, play this people, level of defense. We've seen people be able to do that beforehand. We've seen kind of surprising teams get in there. Uh, has Schottenheimer updated his Madden copy so that it no longer has <laughs> Ask Madden suggest run run pass every single time? Uh, I don't think he is, but like to be fair to Schottenheimer. I don't think it's just the case where he's like forced it on Carroll. I think Carroll has always been very open to that type of offense. Uh, and and obviously, Seattle wouldn't be where it was unless it had made that scheme change early in the season and turned back into the kind of old school Seattle team. I think it's just the case that here, like their defense has a lot of young pieces like uh, Griffin, Flowers, Duran uh, Reed, and even Frank Clark, who, who's up for an extension. These are all guys who, like some of them are near the peak like Frank Clark, but a lot of them are still finding their way. And I suppose the hope for Seattle fans like myself is that these guys are on the cusp of turning into the next, you know, uh, Richard Sherman uh, and, and, and so on. Like, but like that, that remains to be seen, obviously. Uh, but obviously, like Seattle played the exact same game. They won close games. They were away from home. Obviously, they wanted it to be close in the fourth quarter. It was. But when it came down to the crucial plays, when it mattered, they couldn't get it done. And that's why they lost this game. Obviously, it was closer than actually expected because they were down. They, they got, they got a, like a garbage time touchdown, really. Uh, and then they had that weird offside kick attempt from Michael Dixon. But, uh, yeah, yeah. To, be fair, to, to be fair, you were, yeah. you, were, you were somewhat hamstrung by the injury to your yeah. kicker as well. Uh, yeah. Sivas did not look like he should be a football player, <laughs> yeah. to be fair. He looks like someone's dad who used to play, like not even play soccer to any level, just used to play five-a-side and then comes out to play kickabout with the lads and like pulls his <laughs> hamstring after two minutes. Uh, We'll move on to wildcard game three, LA Chargers at Baltimore. This is 23-17. to 17. 
This was very interesting. Gus Bradley schemed up an excellent defensive solution to what they had seen coming out of the the, the Baltimore Ravens. They had, I think, seven defensive backs. Was it six six defensive or seven defensive backs? Uh, depended, but yeah, like more, yeah. basically six or seven defensive backs. Yeah, but they they but they had they had that they had that structure out there for I think fifty of the fifty three plays or something along those lines. And really, up until the fourth quarter, uh, just completely shut down Lamar Jackson. Uh, Rivers had a decent enough game, but nothing incredible they were moving the ball well but weren't able to do anything in the red zone at all uh, until until again to the back end but uh, it was kind of fitting that this was to finish up on a on a big defensive play because you know it was kind of it was a game that it was both defenses that kept it relevant the LA Chargers shutting down Baltimore and the Baltimore defense to be fair to them keeping the team in the game because when you went into the half was it 12 to nothing or 12 to 3 down like that could easily have been 20-something points that were scored against them, but Baltimore's defense were able to hold the, hold back Rivers at Al. So when we look at this Chargers team, are you concerned that they weren't able to get it into the paint that often against a Baltimore team that even though they schemed against their offense perfectly, like other teams have found better success? Like, like, like I think it is a bit worrying that the offense, which has sputtered at times down the stretch, definitely couldn't take advantage of what was excellent field position multiple times and ended up relying on their kicker. Uh, but their kicker is actually good now, so that's not as bad as it was. And to be honest, I always kind of feel with the Chargers that they, you know, they, they just can't have a non-close game. And so, like, their very nature requires that even though they've got all these good red zone opportunities, they can't get too far ahead. Otherwise, it wouldn't be, you know, nail-biting enough at the end. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's a situation where I trust that in like against like non best defenses in the league, they should be good enough to be competitive at least. And certainly, uh, New England, uh, the Chiefs, and even the Colts, a good but overperforming defense. None of them are in the same league as this defense. So they've got yeah. over this hump. And of course, like I think we have to pay. Like I said last week, one of the most important people in this game would be the defensive coordinator Gus Bradley. And well, it ended up being in this case. And obviously, they had played Baltimore, lost them earlier in the season, and the adjustments made here, which to be fair, were apparently inspired by the Browns' uh, second half uh, adjustments uh, in Week 17, uh, were really amazing. Obviously, like you have to give a shout out to, to Melvin Ingram, who had an absolutely amazing game. Uh, on the defensive line, and Joy Bosa was okay too, whatever. Uh, but Melvin Ingram was actually the heart and soul of that, and obviously picked up uh, the last uh, uh, recovery here. And I just think, like, it, it can like I think they got lucky in the sense that Lamar Jackson's a bit uh, fumble prone, uh, to say the least. Uh, but uh, I think they took advantage. They did their homework, and Gus Bradley deserves a heap of credit for basically giving the Chargers enough chances to fuck up that even they couldn't throw this away. So yeah. well done there. And uh, Spe- Speaking of which, uh, their kicker now ties the uh, the franchise record for the most points scored in a half. Um, <laughs> four out of four on those kicks. What the hell? As we were, we were texting at the time saying it's a sign of the apocalypse. But yeah, so LA Chargers progressing and we'll be talking about the games that they're moving into. But strong defensive performance and a somewhat sputtering offense performance still lets them get over the line. And this game, like it says it was within a score. It wasn't really. Like that was a Again, it was a last-minute kind of movement to get it to that point. They were in control throughout this game. Uh, finally, we had the probably the biggest surprise of the weekend, I would say. Um, Philly at Chicago, 16-15. to 15. Uh, Big Dick Nick rides again. Uh, Philly now have a quarterback controversy on their hands if he wins anymore. Um, but yeah, so this was a, a an okay performance. Great in spots, terrible in others from, from Nick, who was able to do enough against the Chicago defense to be able to get them the win. That said, it took all the way down to the last seconds and a, uh, what's it called? Is it the Bing pop or something along those lines for the, uh, for the, 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 the Cody Parkey missed field goal, yeah. which has now since been retrospectively gone back to, and they said, actually it was tipped. So it was yeah. blocked. Like rather slightly, than like just the tip, like just, the tip. just, just the tip, <laughs> which is fitting for a big dick, Nick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so Philadelphia's defense looked a bit better and we're getting a lot more disruption than maybe we had been seeing earlier on in the season. We saw a bit of this at the back end when they won those last couple of games, but you know, it was it was, it was okay. The Chicago defense looked very good, but then kind of fell off towards the back end. Philadelphia, that was not a brilliant performance, but it was a performance against what we reckon is the top defense of this year. So if they could beat them... Is it just is it just the fact that Mitch Titties wasn't able to to provide enough offense for them to kind of push them to to 
to make the most use of the opportunities their defense gave them? Uh, or is this a spot where Philadelphia's defense is strong enough that, you know, they'd be able to compete in most games? Yeah, I think Philly have got a lot stronger down the stretch. And if you look at the rest of the NFC, particularly the two people who got to buy, neither of them have been at their best uh, down the stretch. So, like, can you exclude the fact that Philly, who obviously have all the belief in the world due to the, the powers of Big Dick Nick and, of course, their amazing run last year, uh, like like their unexpected run to the Super Bowl last year, like, I don't think it's a team that will believe uh, that it can't do this. I think the defense, obviously, like Big Dick Nick is obviously the person who's got all the attention and the quarterback controversy and all that. But the real story of how Philly managed to sneak into the quarter, into the into the tournament, and then get the win in this game is that defense. That defense, the front four, Fletcher Cox, Michael Bennett, those type of players have really shown up over the last month or so, and that's allowed them to drop basically everyone else in the coverage and make up for the fact that all like. There's really no one of note in that defensive backfield. And if you have enough players in there, you can cover pretty much anyone. And the fact, yes, they came up against an offense which really is uh, very inconsistent and far too reliant on Matt Nagy scheming up tricky plays or, or like trick plays and, and, and kind of uh, tricking the other defense. It's still good enough to get it done and get into the playoffs. And I think, you know, when you look at New Orleans, with the way they were shut down by Dallas, when you look at the Rams, when they look less good down the stretch, uh, I think it's a situation where I still wouldn't bet in it, but certainly you can't exclude the possibility anymore. Philly have earned the respect and the 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 the, the, the the respect of being considered genuine contenders uh, in the tournament from this point on, and I don't think anyone would particularly want to say they definitely can't win the Super Bowl again. No, and it was quite funny because you could see in that game, because uh, obviously both offensive coordinators coming from the Andy Reid tree, myself watching that, I was able to spot bits from the KC offenses over the last couple of years. I mean, like, I can, spot the, I can spot the choking from here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, it does, it does sound very historical, Chiefs, to have a 15 to 16 game, doesn't it? Um, but yeah, with that, we will move on and take a look at some of the questions from you, the listeners. So our first question comes in from Steve, and it says, will the Pro Bowl match the competitive thrills of Indianapolis at Houston? Uh, obviously, Indianapolis at Houston was a god-awful game, and obviously the Pro Bowl is the best game of football because it's literally all of the best players, as voted by you, the fans, getting to play on super teams. What could be better? And then you add in the fact that you then get, you know, kicker x's and o's and you get dodgeball and stuff like of course the pro bowl is going to be more competitive it's yeah. the most important it's going to be more competitive than the super bowl it's just a rhetorical question really of course yeah yeah 100 <laughs> percent. Uh, we had several people coming in and asking this question again which to be honest we've responded to several times should we change the playoff seedings or is the success of some of the wildcard teams proving that it's all right no because I think I'd still change the seeding system i still have the same teams go through but i'd change who gets home field advantage based entirely on record yeah, I think it's a good compromise. I think we solved this a few weeks ago, and uh, you should listen out for more cases that we solve going forward. Yeah, you should probably uh, yeah see see our earlier work. Uh, <laughs> checking the footnotes. Uh, this one comes from Greg W. No wait, G. Williams. Uh, will Greg, Hunter. Uh, <laughs> will uh, Will Greg Williams be inducted into the Browns Ring of Honor? Uh, this is an interesting question. <laughs> so Greg Williams. Coached them for what was it seven games or eight games something yeah. along those lines as head coach now he is the only head coach in franchise history and also presumably the only coach in franchise history full well, stop the, the to, new the new brands of the new brands yes of the modern era brands not the not the baltimore ravens brands um of the was it 1996 onwards brands i think something like that yeah. um is the only only winning head coach uh, to be leaving the Browns. So every other coach that's left them has left with a losing record. So in a way, yes, I suppose. But in another way, no. Like I, I presume the Browns' ring of honor is pretty empty, right? Yeah. They've had some but good like, players on, until they actually have like a like like a like a, a dynasty type team who like does well. Uh, I think the Browns' ring of honor should be reserved for lovable heroes. Uh, Joe like, Thomas and like the Joe Thomas exactly. Now, Greg Williams is too much of a badass. Like they, he probably like like go into a whole like thing trying to get his balls like the exact right shape or something like that. Mm. Uh, so yeah, like yeah, it's like, like a, 
Greg, you, you go win games somewhere else. You have like a Super Bowl ring with the New Orleans Saints. Like, forget like, it. Where, where, where's Hard Knocks at next year? They'll hire him, right? He's been yeah. on Hard Knocks like four of the last five years. Um, the other one's like putting Greg Williams into your ring of honor kind of feels like when the Indianapolis Colts put up like a AFC finalist banner. Uh, <laughs> it's just, just like no one else does it because it's not impressive. Please don't do it. It makes it just sad to the rest of us. And uh, this one came in from Emmett, who's an occasional contributor on the podcast. And he said, what about Marvin Lewis as defensive coordinator in Chicago as an idea? So this is one that I am kind of interested in, because apparently a lot of people do respect Marvin Lewis as a defensive coordinator. Uh, and they reckon that he could be good in that role, but he's just not a leader of men, as some would say. He also, like in everything I've seen of it, he doesn't really come across as that much of like I always think of the defensive coordinators being the hard ass like kind of almost like the stereotypical Greg Williamsy type one yeah but what what do you think like would you think Lewis to Chicago would work they've got a lot of nice pieces there my my, my only real worry is the fact that obviously Matt Nagy obviously he's done really well this year he's probably a head, head coach of the year candidate but he is a young head coach and you'd worry that you're bringing in someone with this head coaching experience but not someone who I would consider a stabilizing influence. I'm not sure that like Marvin Lewis coming from a dysfunctional organization kind of used to be in control is someone that I would want around and his, you know, personnel, like his judgment of other coaching uh, isn't exactly stellar either considering his huge Jackson power. I just think, I think he's just too much of a headache. And I don't think the fans would like it. You're just kind of, I think you're setting your own, like I think you're just setting a, uh, you're hiring someone who's likely to become a lightning rod for the team and as a young coach, you just don't need that stuff. There's plenty of experienced defensive coaches going around because none of them are getting hired as head coaches. I don't think you need to go to Marvin Lewis just yet. No, of course. Uh, <laughs> all, yes. all, all of Sean McVay's friends are getting hired. All, plenty <laughs> of defensive coordinators that are waiting, like the bells of the ball for when the uh, the things turn around and they want defensive coordinators again. Yeah, well, we're we're going to be in the hunt for defensive coordinator all going well. My my biggest fear would be if we like kind of get to the championship game or we get to the get to the Super Bowl, and because of that, they're like, "Fuck on, we'll keep Bob Sutton." Yeah, like I wouldn't have a problem with him in, in KC because obviously Andy Reid, like he's got yeah, so he's he, he's an experienced kind of yeah. yeah, that's the thing. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see what happens with that afterwards. I'm sure uh, as as more teams drop out, we'll see even more about who's available and who's not at that point. And um, we'll move on now, and we'll take a look at our previews for uh, the divisional weekend. Okie dokie, so we're going to take our picks for this week and have a chat about the games, because there's only four of them. Harry's Floodfield fucked capitalism in from last week, uh, so we're going to stick with that as his choices uh, for this week's game. Uh, so I suppose we'll also decide who are the least capitalist of the two teams and give him them. Uh, that sounds like a plan to me. So uh, first up is <laughs> Indianapolis at Kansas City. Uh, we've gone for Kansas City. Actually, we've gone. We, we're in agreement for all these games, Fitz. Uh, this is a rare occasion. Uh, so we've gone for Kansas City in this one, but... Um, I think this would be an interesting one. It's obviously, uh, the, this is breaking a record. So this is the most quarterback touchdowns combined ever in a playoff game between uh, Luck yeah. and Pat Mahomes. And I believe there's indications it could be a snow game. Yes, the the uh, long-form forecasts at the moment are saying uh, snow game potentially, which I don't know if that's really the best outcome for us, uh, given that we no longer... Our, our, our top running back became a kicker and is no longer in the league. So... Uh, <laughs> So uh, we'll, we'll see whether that happens or not. But I think it'll be interesting because it would, it would definitely change the dynamic of the game somewhat. Uh, but yeah, so it should be it should be a very exciting one. The KC has never won a playoff game coming in as a one or a two seed. Uh, <laughs> so this will be fun. Uh, <laughs> You're not shitting at all. Shitting it at all. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, this is the thing. Like I, I think it'll be incredible. I think the atmosphere will be great, and I think it's going to be a really good game. And I also expect it to be a very high-scoring game. But I also think like it won't be until literally when the final whistle is gone that like all of our anuses collectively declench. Because like this is the team who we were up twenty-eight to three against going into halftime. Or sorry, it wasn't even twenty-eight to three. It was um, was twenty-seven to three or something along those lines. We're yeah. up by. On multiple multiple scores and then proceeded to lose to an Andrew Luck led Colts team. Uh, now that said, that was in Indianapolis at that time, but uh, but yeah, it's still not uh, not what you want it's going in. It's different. It's definitely different. Yeah. Burn the tapes. Hundred <laughs> uh, percent. Well, the thing is, like we've got Mahomes this time around, which is a big change to what we had previously. Uh, let's be honest. We've now got um, Barry is back practicing, although he was not practicing today. But they reckon that that's just taking time off to get him. When when he's playing during the week, he normally takes the Wednesday and the Thursday off to to 
for pain management going into the back end. Uh, LDT might be back for this game. Watkins is back practicing fully. Uh, I think our left guard is back as well. Basically, we're riding into having almost all of our players back healthy, which would be quite a nice thing to have. Uh, so we'll see. Indianapolis, though, looked very strong in that last round. Uh, they have the ability to score from wherever they are in the field. Marlon Mack is a like just just running into a really good all-round back to be having, and that's a weakness that we have. The only thing that Kansas City's defense can provide is excellent pass rush. So as long as we can get that running early, I think we can disrupt them. But like our defensive backs aren't going to be able to hold this together if we can't get that pass rush coming up early on. And I think that could be an issue for us in this game. Yeah, like like I, I, I my theory is is that you know like what usually happens with Andy Reid is that he's dealing with like like Alex Smith and stuff. So early on, he uses a lot of his tricks. They have their mid-season swoon. They have to pour out more tricks to get into the playoffs. My hope, because I want this game to be really exciting, is that Andy Reid, despite his poor impulse control, has, I assume, uh, has been saving a bag of special plays. <laughs> like, Because obviously, they were doing all kinds of crazy stuff early on in the season. And that kind of, they went to more, sta- well, I wouldn't say standard, but slightly more standard as the season went on. I think probably to also bet in Patrick Mahomes is just being able to do quarterback, standard quarterback stuff. And I think this game and the rest of the playoffs, if they make it true, they're gonna, we're going to start seeing some of that early season kind of imagination kind of stuff going on. And Eric Bieniemy is getting a lot of interviews as well. So obviously, he's mm. maybe a little... You know, doing a little dance for a head coach position in Miami, uh, and I think it's a situation where I hope, and I genuinely like this is my, my hope. I don't know, like this isn't based on anything really except for hope. And the idea Andy Reid is really good at scheming up stuff and doing fun stuff is that they're going to do uh, pull out everything here to beat Indianapolis, and it's going to be you know, there's going to be plays that you're like, how, what the hell is that crap? <laughs> and I'm sure you hope that happens as well. Uh, and Indianapolis, they're just a really solid team overall, but maybe they're a year away from being like an elite t- tournament. Like they're a team that I'm much more scared of a year from now than right now. But if they can shut down Kansas City's pass rush, which is really the strength of their defense, then they could do what they did to the Houston Texans. Obviously, they'll probably have to score in the second half because the Kansas City Chiefs yeah. aren't quite as bad as that, but it'll be solid. So I think Indianapolis, we know who they are. They're solid. They've put together a really solid team. Whereas KC, I just think... And I'm hoping they've saved some magic, extra magic for Mahomes, and they're going to do some crazy shit, and that will be the stuff that will get them over the get them over the over the hill and actually win this game and get into the AFC Championship. I think based on what we saw this season, there's no reason to believe Kansas City can't do that, and if they do it, it's always going to be in the most fun way possible uh, and the most butt clenching way for you Chiefs fans as well. Oh of course. yeah. yeah. Uh, also, like, just if we can get like snow, like. Arrowhead game for like the AFC Championship. If, as we are predicting, we're going to divisional one as well. Uh, next up, we have Dallas at the LA Rams. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, which team is less capitalistic, uh, Indianapolis or Kansas? Probably Kansas, isn't it? Uh, like, yeah, like they're more fan based. I suppose the only thing in favor of Indianapolis is that it was literally built by a single person, which is more a totalitarian communist regime thing. Uh, but like, capitalists can be communist. Sorry. Is Peyton Manning a capitalist? Probably. So it's more of like a Nicaragua type situation, maybe. Fair enough. Uh, Dallas at LA Rams. We've gone for the Rams across the board. Uh, I think, I think, well, this is, this is a tough one. Dallas, Jarrah World versus LA, like, glitz and glamour, Hollywood, Americana. Which one is the latest capitalist here for Harry? Uh, we're going to, we're going to go with the, the Fox News approach and say the liberals are the most communist. The liberal Hollywood elite. That's, okay. That's the that that's that's who represents communism. Okay, so so far he's he's, he's, he's in lockstep with us. Uh, this will be an interesting one. L.A. Rams, obviously monsters during the season. They've got offensive weapons left, right, and center. Todd Gurley in the backfield, multiple weapons out of wide receiver. A defense led by that defensive line that are well, to be honest, somewhat underperforming for parts of it. But since the the return of Aqib Tlaib, they've been getting a lot more takeaways and looking a bit stronger. But their offense has been staggering a little bit in the back half. Dallas looking quite good over the last two weeks. Kind of a surprise win against Seattle, but showing that they have that kind of ground-and-pound old-style football to bring to this game. I think if Dallas's linebackers can shut down Todd Gurley and really start to like pressure them a little bit more, make them put this on golf shoulders that's when they have a chance in this game but i just don't know 
given the weapons and given the coaching that you see from Sean McVay and stuff like that, and the fact that Dallas's splits at home and away are so different than they have to travel to the Rams for this one, that like I, I just find it hard, unless the Rams just completely misfire in this, I find it hard to look past them. Yeah, like I, I think the Rams are another team, uh, similar to what I said before, I think the Rams really do need to show that they can do different things, because I think to a certain extent down the stretch, they may have been figured out a little bit. The offense particularly the pass offense, just seemed to lose a lot of the explosiveness it had earlier in the season. And obviously Dallas have a good enough defense that they could ask serious questions of Jared Goff. Of course, the key, as you definitely say, is shutting down Todd Gurley and perhaps C.J. Anderson gets mixed in there as well. And it's a situation that, yeah, if Dallas can do what they did to Seattle, force them into the pass game, obviously the Rams have a better pass game in general, but it hasn't really been the same since those are like that basically since the Chiefs game where like uh, there was so much offensive firepower going. So I, I, they just I, used it all up. Yeah. Like I think you have to favor the Rams because they're at home and because you just kind of believe that Sean McVay, he's so like he's, we have so much appreciation for Sean McVay and certainly his friends do for getting him hired. Uh, <laughs> that like you, you think he can scheme up enough to defeat that Chris Richard led uh, like that, that, like led defensive thing and I think if it ends up falling on Dak Prescott to get them back into the game if the Rams go up early I just don't think Dak is good enough to do that when things really matter they're a team that really needs to get a lead get Zeke going control the game like they did in that New Orleans game where they didn't score in the second half uh, I just think in a situation where I don't think the Rams can do that but I like the one thing with the home field advantage I would say is that the Coliseum, like, don't expect it to be that big yeah. a home field advantage because the Dallas fans are going to be there in force. It's not so much the home field advantage as it is the fact that every time they travelled this year, they yeah. been significantly worse, rather than, than necessarily their home field being a big difference. Uh, next up, we have the LA Chargers at the New England Patriots. I've decided that the least capitalist would be New England, even though they're the bigger team and that kind of stuff. The LA team literally left their stadium and their fan base to go and try and get money in LA yeah. so that seems probably new. and it, also it, Harry's a New yeah. England fan so. yeah the Chargers are definitely the more capitalist organisation uh, the players maybe not but uh, yeah. the organisation definitely is yeah so this is an interesting one um, we've both gone for the Chargers in this game uh, they look we believe yeah and this is uh, this is almost the problem though isn't it that the Chargers <laughs> trick you into believing um, the Chargers offense looked very good they've got multiple weapons they've got all of the multiple different types of Williamses uh, they've got Keenan Allen back healthy Gordon was a little bit injured but came back into the game and they've got him and Eckler to mix it around there and Philip Rizzers is playing one of his best seasons uh, of, of, of his entire career their defense has like we said Ingram and Bosa coming off the edges they've got a great cornerback group like they are a very good well-rounded team New England on the other hand I think their offense is falling off a bit, as we saw at the tail end of, of the season. But also they've lost Josh Gordon since then, so they've lost their deep threat. And I'm not sure how much you can rely on just your playoff level performances out of, uh, out of like Dorsett and people like that. We have a defense that, let's be honest, like their defense is slow. It's not up to scratch at the moment. This is going to come down to talent on the side of the Chargers versus coaching and tactics on the side of New England. Bill Belichick is by a distance the best tactician in the league and he'll know exactly how he wants to play this Chargers team and I'm sure he'll be able to get performances out of the talent that he has but it is definitely a lesser talent base than what's sitting on this Chargers team. Yeah, like you look at this New England team They've, they've, they're obviously very different than even they were last year. They've now become really a run first team under Sonny Michel and James White and a little bit of Rex Burkhead in there. Tom Brady looks a bit skittish, to be honest, in the pocket. Doesn't doesn't really stand in there too long. Uh, and like obviously, they do have a quick hit offense to begin with, but they, it seems like Tom Brady is throwing it as soon as he feels pressure at the moment. Will he be willing to stand in the pocket a little bit longer against Ingram and Boza in, like, when it matters in the playoffs? Maybe he's just protecting himself because, you know, like a lot of those games were against the Jets and the Bills. Who cares? Yeah. Um, so it's just a situation where, yeah, if you were to look at talent, if you look at form, if you were to look at who's played the best over the course of the season in terms of, like, exciting plays and, like, like, uh, like splash plays and stuff, you'd have to go for the Chargers. And like, that's why we're picking them, but also wish casting to a certain extent. But all, as you say, on the other 
other side. It's in Foxborough. New England are a different team in Foxborough. They were undefeated there this year. That's yep. a huge advantage, and there is snow potentially for this game. It's less likely now than it was expected earlier in the week, but there is like expected to be frigid conditions at least. And obviously, these are two veteran quarterbacks. So if the New England defense can get Philip Rivers off uh, off his mark and force him to like move around, then they can get something done. But just yeah, like the New England defense just looks slow and turgid for most of this season and you'd think that the Chargers have enough if they can establish especially Melvin Gordon in the run game to kind of grind like to grind them out and, and make Bill Belichick not just with the lack of talent not be able to contain all of those weapons at the same time. Um so I think the Chargers, we all want them to win. They certainly have enough talent to win. And with Hunter Henry Mack, maybe they have a wild card that can like like even confuse the great Bill Belichick. And really the only reason that we believe that New England can win this is because they're in Foxborough and they have Bill Belichick. Uh, but as we've seen so many in the pants in the past, that can often just be enough. Uh, so let's go Chargers. But uh, yeah, I'm just, like, to, like to be honest, as, as a Chiefs fan, I'd rather see New England with this game because I'd, lo- I'd, I'd much rather see New England travelling a- across to us and coming into our house for it because yeah. the Chargers, I think, are a better equipped team overall. Um, finally, we move on to Philadelphia and New Orleans. Who's the least capitalist of these two? Uh, Philly play in the biggest media market. Yeah, like New Orleans is that more that uh, you know anti-capitalist? Like boho jazz, like yeah. a neglected section. Yeah, yeah. So we'll go with New yeah. Orleans for him. So we're all in agreement that it's going to be New Orleans. Uh, again, this is an interesting game. New Orleans, similar to the Rams, uh, were excellent during the most of the of the regular season and then really cooled off in the last couple of weeks we talked about earlier about philly and them getting hot nick coming in and being able to do things that maybe even wentz wasn't able to do in that offense the speed that he's getting the ball out with like the fact that he had was it two weeks ago 25 straight completions in in a game like that's the kind of stuff that could work well against this New Orleans defense because what you want to do is be able to keep moving the ball on them to try and keep the ball out of the hands of that explosive offense and to kind of tire them down a little bit because Big Dick Nick can take the deep shot if he wants but if you tire them out first that's how you're going to be able to to, to get some success here New Orleans are a different force at home which they are here like Breeze within his dome is something like I think he averages something like 16 or 17 uh, QBR higher than he does whenever he's not at home even in other domes uh, which is <laughs> which is just remarkable um, but yeah like this is a New Orleans team that we saw have all these weapons on offense, like this tandem of running backs, a successful offensive line, good wide receiver options, good defensive pieces, but they have done very little in the last three or four weeks of the regular season to uh, to fill you with a whole load of hope, whereas this Philly team seems to be peaking at the right time. Like we've gone for New Orleans, again, probably based on the talent, yeah. uh, but also to an extent I probably trust Sean Payton's coaching because he knows Breeze and he knows this is the last year or two of him probably in New Orleans uh, versus Philly, which are struggling a bit. But the, Philly are on the way up and New Orleans need to show us something now that maybe that week off did something for them. Yeah, like this is a situation where like coaching matters, leadership matters. Like, is this a team that's coming in cold that hasn't shown its best over the last month, whether with the extra time that they had with the week off, and indeed the extra week off where they rested their starters in week 17 mostly, yeah. are they going to use that time to study up, get ready, and prepare for every eventuality? Which obviously would have included preparing for Philly as, well, maybe not as much, but certainly a legitimate amount, as well as uh, whoever they were expected to face, Dallas, Seahawks, whatever. Uh, like, I don't think they expected to face like Philly is probably one of the more likely because they were number six, but like certainly they should have been doing their homework on everyone who they could have faced at this point. And now they're here, and now you go, okay. I think t- like I think Plan A. Obviously, I think they want to establish the run game. They'll be running tomorrow. They'll be running Ingram, and they'll be hoping that they can get those free yards. Because if Drew Brees is if they can't if the Philly defense can't get to Drew Brees if they can't reliably like just push like uh, sorry. Uh, rush the passer, that I think that they can be worked around because that secondary, like, if if they have to bring more people in, if they have to start blitzing to get pressure, that's when New Orleans are going to tear them apart on the back end because those guys just aren't as good. They've improved, but, like, Philly, they don't have any names really back there. And I think that would be the A game. But, obviously, if, they, if Philly can stop the run, 
which they're certainly capable of doing, then it's going to be all about Drew Brees. Can Drew Brees pull another magic uh, like performance out of his ass in the Superdome? Certainly, you wouldn't say history is against them. And certainly, like last year, like they probably should have won that game uh, uh, in a similar situation. And I think it's just like, but Philly are just so hot right now that you just think that the, the New Orleans Saints, who might have come in a bit more confident if they face someone like like Dallas, whatever like that, now they're facing a team that has all the belief is the defending Super Bowl champions. They obviously have a crazy fan base as well. They have Big Dick Nick. Like, last week I said I just couldn't see Philly winning. Now, like, you know, the doubts that I see in my mind, I imagine they're in the back of the mind of anyone because it just it's kind of hard not to see them as a team of destiny at the moment, especially if they win this, but... New Orleans, they should have enough to do this. They just need to get off their ass and have used that extra time to get get ready. Uh, so I hope you're ready, New Orleans, because Big Dick Nick is coming for you. There we go. And what that would do, if our if our prediction's coming correctly, we'll have a great little set of them for the championship game. So we'll have uh, KC at LA Chargers in Arrowhead. Oh, sorry, uh, LAC at KC in, in Arrowhead for a like AFC West divisional matchup for the AFC Championship game and the Rams versus the New Orleans Saints, which is the other game that everyone would like to see uh, coming in for the NFC. So that'd be uh, that'd be a savage little uh, little setup there if we could get that uh, together. So yeah, but like think, to be fair, uh, I don't I don't think there's anyone left. Like to be honest, the only team I don't want to see in either Championship game is New England because they just look kind of boring right now. I uh, don't know. I'm I'm kind of, I I I just I don't find Dallas very entertaining to watch at all. I, think, uh, I I get it, and I I can kind of enjoy some of the defensive play, but I just yeah. find their offense so fucking boring. Yeah, I like yeah. As long as they don't win the Super Bowl, I'm okay with going for. <laughs> <laughs> that would be too far if they actually if Jerry got another Super Bowl. So there'll be Dallas versus New Orleans or Philadelphia. Uh, actually, you know, because because then if Philly happened to pull it out, it'd be Philly traveling to Dallas. So you'll have like an NFC East. <sighs> <laughs> in Jero world oh god like nfc east and afc west playoffs for the, for the... It'd be like mad max like oh geez that'd be horrendous um but yeah no it'd be good so no other scandal any plans for the weekend uh nothing too exciting planned at the moment obviously it's just from back into january so it's like eh, just relaxing whatever that that and obviously still working away uh, so yeah, mostly just focus on football this week. Should be good games, hopefully. Yeah, I'm gonna be similar. Gonna go and watch the games on Saturday, and I need to probably start a bit of study on the new stuff now. You know, one one year down, more to to go ahead, and uh, yeah, no. Apart from that, nothing else too wild or crazy. So uh, so no, should be should be fun. Arrange a few a few drinks at some point. It'd be nice. Trying to get uh, get my get my January paycheck. So no more living on the poverty line. Woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but no, that should be good. So as always, fire us in any messages on Facebook, email, Twitter, all that kind of stuff if you want. We must actually look at the Twitter at some point. <laughs> I never yeah. do. Um, also, hello to uh, I think it was Alan who was out at the at the football at the other day who added the podcast. Let's see if he listens this far. <laughs> he probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> if he listens this far, well done to you, good man. Uh, pity about the Bears, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no. Apart from that, I suppose it's uh, yeah, that'll do us for this week. So it's bye for myself, bye from Roland. Bye. This has been all four quarters. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll chat to you next week. Bye.